0: Thank you for listening to the Collective Church podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from church, or are struggling to find a church to connect with, you belong here. Right now, big things are going on at Collective as we are finishing the work on our own 24-7 space with the plan to be open by Easter. Until then, you can continue to check us out on Facebook at My Collective Church on Sunday mornings at 9.25 a.m. for Collective Online. We would love for you to join us. God is moving at Collective and in the city of Frederick, so stay tuned so you can be up to date on what's going on and how you can be involved with what's next at Collective. Now, let's get into today's message. I'm about to ruin some famous movie and TV quotes you've been quoting your entire life. And I know you want to tell me that I'm wrong, but I'm sorry, you're wrong. Don't worry. You're in good company because a lot of people have been misquoting these lines for a really long time. If you're a true Star Wars fan, you probably won't be surprised by what I'm about to say. But if you're a casual fan like me, I'm sorry to tell you, but you've been misquoting probably the most famous line for years. If you named your son Luke so that you could say, Luke, I am your father. um, I'm sorry to tell you, but that line is wrong. And in fact, if you wanted to name your child correctly in order to say the right line, you should have named your child, no. Because the actual line from Star Wars, when Luke accuses Darth Vader of killing his father, he says, no, I am your father. Any E.T. fans out there? If you are one, I bet in your mind, you're already saying E.T. phone home in your best E.T. voice. But you should be saying it in your best Drew Barrymore voice because she's the one that says that line. E.T. actually says, E.T. home phone. And so, if you're too young to know what E.T. is, then you probably are also thinking that I'm talking about outdated technology that was centrally located in our homes growing up before everyone and their mother had a cell phone. Maybe Disney movies are your thing, and you love the classic Snow White. The evil queen is an iconic villain with her oh-so-famous mirror-mirror question, but you guessed it, that's not the right line. She actually says magic mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all? If you grew up watching Mr. Rogers like I did, you're probably singing that first line in your head and you're singing, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. But that's not the right line either. It's actually, it's a beautiful day in this neighborhood. Devastating, I know. There are so many movies or TV shows that we could continue talking about quoting incorrectly But at least we can take solace in knowing that this is something that pretty much everyone has done. It's crazy to think that we have taken the wrong lines from things, but it seems like everyone is misquoting the same lines. So why do we do this? There's actually a reason and it's called the Mandela Effect. The Mandela Effect occurs when a large group of people remember events, sayings, or images differently than they really are. And the phenomenon was given its name by Fiona Broome, who realized that she was not alone in her false belief that Nelson Mandela, former South African president, had died when he was in prison in the 1980s. She found out that many people had false memories of news articles and his funeral. But Nelson Mandela did not die in prison in the 1980s. He passed away back in 2013. So I think it stands to reason that if the majority of society has been misquoting Darth Vader for decades, it makes sense that people have been misquoting the Bible for even longer than that. We're in week three of our series, Bad Lip Reading the Bible. Pastor Michael has been walking us through some phrases that most people have been hearing for years, even though they don't actually convey what the scripture that they come from is really trying to say. These are examples of how the Mandela Effect has been playing a role in the Christian church. Many well-meaning people have said phrases like, everything happens for a reason, or don't judge. But these these phrases end up hurting people or turning them off from Jesus because they don't really express what the Bible actually conveys. Personally, it drives me crazy when people twist scripture and try to prove that it says something that it actually doesn't say. These misguided one-liners are often used to help the person saying the phrase better communicate to someone who's going through a really hard time. But the recipient of these one-liners, and I've been one of them for many occasions, they don't end up getting help from these things. They actually end up being hurt. So today, we're going to look at my all-time least favorite quote, but all too often misused, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. As Michael's done in previous weeks, we're going to take a look at the phrase and break it down, explain where it goes wrong, and then take a look at the scripture, where it originates, and try to determine what the Bible actually says and why it's important. If life's been pretty easy, pretty simple, straightforward for you, with very few hiccups, you might think that the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle, is pretty comforting. It gives that sense that life won't be too hard because God knows your limits and he's not going to push them. But if you're like the rest of us, life has been anything but easy. Sure, maybe there have been some easy periods of time, but you're no stranger to the hard things in life. Whether you've walked through divorce, death of a loved one, or some form of trauma or toxic stress, you've been pushed beyond the limit of what you thought you could endure. You've carried a burden that was way heavier than you could carry. Or maybe you're still carrying that burden now. And the thought that God would give you, wouldn't give would give you more than you can handle makes you question whether or not you can consider God to be good if he's going to give you more than you can handle. A couple of years ago, I was given the opportunity to share my story of motherhood on Mother's Day. I don't know if ironic is the right word here, but to me it felt ironic that on that day, the sermon topic in our series, Burned, was burned by God. So on that day, I shared the story of my first son, Sammy, who passed away when he was 26 days old. When you lose a loved one, particularly in a devastating way, people just say really dumb things to you. We hate seeing each other suffer, so naturally we want to do something to help someone else's pain go away. But the really hard part about this is there's nothing you can say, there's nothing that we can do to take that pain away from someone. Grief is powerful and it's all-consuming, and if we're honest, It makes us uncomfortable. More than once, after Sammy died, people told me that God wouldn't give me more than I could handle. It's probably a good thing that my mind has blocked out whoever said that to me, because it was the worst thing anyone could have said. It was hurtful. And to be honest, it put me in a really rough place with Jesus longer than I'd care to admit. How on earth could a 27-year-old be strong enough to handle the loss of her first child? It simply isn't possible. But we say these kinds of things. And I know as a young Christian, I was just as guilty for saying these kinds of phrases to others when I simply didn't have an answer that could give clarity or justify what was going on in someone else's life. But the awesome thing about God is we don't have to have answers. We can look to Jesus and the Bible to help us walk through the hardest times that we endure. But we have to remember to read what Scripture really says rather than apply these misconceptions that end up being hurtful. Before we get into the scripture that led to this bad lip reading of the Bible, let's look at the phrase and break it down. God doesn't give you more than you can handle. Like I said earlier, for some, that phrase seems comforting because it gives us this false illusion that by following Jesus, we'll be spared from hardship. But if we take a look throughout scripture, we can find many examples that disprove this notion. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking to his disciples, his 12 closest followers, about when they'll continue his teaching after he's gone, and he says very plainly to them, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Even those who were closest to Jesus, who spent years with him and continued sharing his teachings after his death, were not spared from troubles in life. So how can we expect to live a life without trials if his own disciples weren't spared from this? Even Paul, who wrote more than half of the New Testament and who's considered the greatest church planter after Jesus' death, wasn't free from suffering. In his second letter to the people of Corinth, he writes, We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. While on one of his many journeys, Paul encountered trouble that even he was crushed and overwhelmed by. He later says that he was sure they were going to die. In James 1, the first thing that James, the brother of Jesus, tells the recipients of his letter is, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He doesn't say, if you face trials. He says, when you face trials. Difficulty in life is a certainty. It's a certainty. Another issue with the phrase, God doesn't give you more than you can handle, is that by saying that God won't give us more than we can handle, we're putting focus on ourselves and our abilities rather than focusing on Christ. This type of thinking removes the need for God. If we can handle whatever life's going to throw at us, why is there a need for an all-powerful, all-knowing supreme being? Why would I need to depend on anything else or anyone else if I can handle it? That puts an insane amount of pressure on ourselves to handle anything and everything. And I don't want that kind of pressure. I know that the times in my life when I've struggled the most are the times when I tried to control what was happening around me. And in those times, I failed miserably. And I'm not the only person that struggled in life when trying to handle things on my own. The Bible's full of examples of humans failing because they were trying to handle things. We don't have time to dive into all three of these people right now. But if you're looking for examples of people who we can relate to, because just like you and me, they sometimes made the wrong decision. Here's a few examples. Peter, one of Jesus's best friends and closest disciples, denied even knowing him out of fear for his life. Jonah didn't want to travel to a corrupt town even when God was the one telling him to go. And David, known as the, uh, in the Bible as the man after God's own heart, killed one of his own military leaders because he didn't want him to find out that he had slept with his wife. Each time when one of these people tried to take a challenging situation and control the outcome, they weren't capable of ensuring success. They ended up in personal failure. So how did we get here in the first place? How did this bad lip reading of the Bible begin? Let's dive into the scripture that people are referring to when they tell us, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. In 1 Corinthians 10:13, the apostle Paul writes, "The temptations in your life are not different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure." And I'm going to read this again because I think we really have to pay attention and catch what other people are missing when they misuse this scripture to tell us that God won't give us more than we can handle. The temptations of your life are not different from what others experience, and God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. This verse is talking about temptation, and the Greek word for temptation is pirasmos, which in another context could mean trial or test. But just like any other word with multiple meanings, context is everything. I teach fifth grade, and one strategy that I like to give my kids when we're looking at new vocabulary is that they have to look at the context around the word. So knowing what the writer is talking about around these key terms is what's going to give us insight into trying to understand what they're saying. Earlier in this chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul is warning the the people of Corinth of temptations that the Israelites fell into in the past. So as he approaches verse 13, he's reminding them that these temptations are not unique to them. He's telling them that people have struggled with these same things throughout history. They are not alone in their struggles. He isn't talking about the hardships that people are attributing this verse to when they use the phrase, God doesn't give you more than you can handle. He's referring to idolatry, the worship of items, people, or ideas other than God, sexual immorality, overindulgence, you know, the same struggles that we deal with today. And to be honest, that's one of the reasons why I love the Bible. Even though Paul wrote this to a group of people almost 2,000 years ago, the same things that pull people's attention away from Jesus back then, they're the same things that pull our attention away from Jesus today, because we're human. We're prone to go after the things that catch our attention even if we know that they're not what's best for us. We are imperfect, broken people who are constantly searching for things to fill us up. And at Collective, we say we're a church for the rest of us. We are messed up in our own ways, and we all carry brokenness. And that's why so many people, myself included, have found community here, because we get to be around other imperfect people trying to figure out this whole Jesus and life stuff. But this shouldn't be new. God knew that people would be the same now as they were back then. Broken people in need of something bigger than themselves. People are still searching for things in the wrong places. But here's the awesome thing about this verse, that last line. Even when we go after things that are tempting for us and aren't beneficial to us, God will show us a way so that we can endure it. But here's the thing. We have to ask him for help. I hate asking for help. Hate it hate, hate, hate it. Probably one of my biggest flaws. I am too stubborn, and I feel like asking for help is a sign of weakness. And maybe this was perpetuated for a time because I believed in things like God wouldn't give me more than I could handle. But the fact of the matter is, God isn't the one putting challenges or temptation in my life. And Michael told us a couple of weeks ago, God allows these things to occur in our lives, but he's not the one who causes the issues. But do you know what God does do? He offers us help. He offers us strength. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He says that we can come to him with the hard things, that he can help ease our burdens, He wants to give us rest from the constant battle that we have within ourselves when we come up against temptation and can't seem to beat it. In one of his letters, Paul wrote about a thorn in his side. It's a source of real conflict for him, and he writes, Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast in my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. No one in this life is safeguarded from hardship or temptation. We are full of weaknesses just like Paul. We don't know exactly what the thorn for Paul was, but it doesn't matter. That's between Paul and God. We just know that whatever it was, it was something that Paul really struggled with. And he asked for God's help. Paul didn't say that God removed the issue from his life, but he trusts in God's power to work through him. God offered him grace. Which, my guess is, that's what Paul needed to hear from God. That it didn't matter what the thorn was, but that God's grace was enough for Paul not to only live with that thorn, but to grow through those experiences as well. And Paul trusted God through it. He trusted that even in, with this in his life, God's grace was enough. Alone, we may not be able to get through everything that comes at us in life. I know I'm not. But what I believe and have come to know through the experiences in my own life is that God is strong enough to help us through anything. It doesn't mean that he will remove all temptations, all obstacles, all heartbreak from our lives. It doesn't mean that everything is going to be rainbows and butterflies but he is strong enough to help us endure. We can trust God in the midst of our struggles. I don't know what's going on in your life or where you are with God, but what I do know is that we simply aren't strong enough to do it on our own. We need more than ourselves. In a 12-step program, there are several initial steps that are wonderfully beneficial to those working the program, but I truly believe that each of us could benefit from putting this into practice. And the reason that these steps are to be taken first is because they're the most fundamental in someone's recovery. And the first step is to recognize that our lives had become unmanageable. And I think that if we're really honest with ourselves, if we try to handle temptation on our own, we simply can't. Life becomes unmanageable. We are bombarded every day with all sorts of sin that at some point we just can't get past all on our own. That small comment about the coworker becomes another conversation and another, and then you're just straight up gossiping about them. Or that harmless search on the internet that just leads down some rabbit hole to the darker parts of the web. That drink to take the edge off that you need one day and then the next, and then you can't make it through a week without one that little break-for-me time that slowly takes more and more time each day Then you're glued to your phone, TV, or computer instead of spending quality time with your kids. When life's hard, we find ways to numb ourselves. And if we try to deal with life being hard on our own, it's going to become unmanageable. But the cool thing about these steps is that a second one follows. And the second one reads, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. For me, God is that power greater than myself. God can restore us to sanity when we're caught up in the mess of this life. He wants to carry our burdens. He came to this earth as Jesus to walk among people that he created and so loves because he's a relational God. Jesus endured the same temptations that we do. He walked this earth for over 30 years. So how do we give ourselves the opportunity to overcome temptation in our lives? One of our core values here at Collective is you belong here. It means that we don't shy away from the messiness of life and we're honest about the ways that Jesus is changing the lives of people who call Collective home. And one of the best ways that you can truly know that you belong here is by joining one of our collectives. There are weekly groups that meet in person or online. We eat a meal together, some of the groups grab a beer together, and we talk about life and the questions that we have about faith. Or maybe you're looking for a way to get plugged in and serving on one of our teams. By joining a collective or one of our teams that serve here on Sunday, if you allow it, real community can be created. You don't have to have all the answers. You can have real doubts about what you're wrestling with. And that's more than okay. In fact, it's okay if you're not okay. Because the truth of the matter is, life is hard. And we're all working through something but it takes boldness and a desire to grow and learn for real life change to happen. And the awesome thing about being a part of this community is you can belong before you believe, meaning if you're not sure about this whole Jesus thing, we want you here. You are not meant to do life alone. So whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, my challenge for you today is if you haven't checked out a collective or you're thinking about joining the team, that you check those boxes on your digital connection card and get in touch with Danielle, our Next Steps director. Meet some people who are working through the messiness of life and don't want to do it alone. Maybe throughout your life, you've thought you're doing pretty well on your own. You haven't needed community or Jesus to get get through things when things have gotten tough. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't know how you do it. When I look back at the hardest days of my life, really the hardest seasons of my life, and there have been many, while I've had wonderful support from my family and really great friends, I can tell you that without Jesus, I would not have been able to get through. His strength and grace are what gave me purpose in my pain. Getting baptized and deciding to follow Jesus was the best decision I have ever made. I've survived the loss of my son because God's strength and his promise of eternal life because of Jesus' sacrifice. My family is whole because of God's grace and the endless second chances that he offers us every day. My life has great purpose because we followed God to Frederick to help plant this amazing church where I've seen real life change in my own life and in the lives of so many. And it all begins with a decision to follow Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to consider taking that step for yourself and getting baptized. And check the baptism box on your connection card. Some of you have been in community for a while. Maybe it's time for you to take that next step. Maybe you're new to Collective and you're still figuring out this whole Jesus thing. And while getting baptized and giving your life to Jesus is the best thing you could do, it's not going to make everything perfect. But I believe, as it's done in my life, that making this choice offers you the strength to endure hardship, grace to forgive your mistakes, and community to walk through life with. Because let's get real here. Life is going to give you more than you can handle. I hate to break it to you, but it's going to happen. Maybe not today or tomorrow, but at some point, life is going to be more than you can handle. Whether it's something completely out of your control or self-inflicted, something's going to be your tipping point. Why go about it alone? Let's pray. Hey, God, um, we just come to you this morning so thankful for the fact that you offer us these endless second chances, God, this grace that um, we just don't deserve. And God, we're just so thankful that when life is really hard, when there are um, obstacles in our way and temptation in our life, God, that we just simply can't get past, God, you offer us a way out. You offer us strength that we don't have on our own, and you offer us that forgiveness for sometimes the same mistake we've been making day in and day out. But God, we are just so thankful for the way that you love us and the way that you lead us. And so I just pray that this morning, um, if there are people who are just really struggling to know that they don't have to be alone, we don't have to walk through this life alone, you offer us to be with us, to, to take our burdens, God. And that's just something that um, I know that I find so comforting. We love you so much, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.